Friends, in Jesus' baptism, he identifies himself with us precisely so that we can find our primary identity in him. You know, it's just a common Christian belief that Jesus didn't need to be baptized. Uh, John preached a baptism of repentance from sin, and it's the teaching of the New Testament and the Christian tradition that Jesus himself never committed sin. So Jesus technically didn't need to be baptized, and yet he was. And so throughout the Christian tradition, various uh, thoughts on that have been thrown out. He was consecrating water, uh, all water for its, its own uh, sacred purposes. He was setting up the trajectory of the sacrament of baptism and doing what he was going to ask us to do uh, after he had left. But one of the things I think that Jesus was doing at his baptism was he was entering, identifying himself with us as sinners, precisely so that we could see our primary identity in him as his sons, as the, the sons and daughters of our beloved Father. And so this question of where's our primary identity, right, it's a modern, very important question. Like, where do we get our identity from? People identify themselves in all sorts of ways. And this piece, I think, invites us as Catholic Christians to say that no matter how important all the sources of our identity are, that the primary one is that we are united with Christ as beloved sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. That is our fundamental orientation. That's our fundamental identity as believers in Jesus. And so I wanted to kind of draw out a couple implications for this, uh, for our own uh, spiritual life. The first is this. I want to make kind of a renewed appeal for the importance and the beauty of, of infant baptism. You know, it was kind of a, just taken for granted in much of Christian history, right, that we baptize infants. Uh, there was a movement away from that in the Protestant tradition. In fact, the Baptist tradition gets much of its origin from kind of an aversion to infant baptism, the idea that as an adult, I should only, when I make a, I'm old enough to make a, a firm profession of faith on my own, can I do that, right? So, but, but for the most part, throughout the Christian tradition, the baptism of infants has been kind of taken for granted. But there's a kind of new movement uh, that I've heard from a ton of parents, young parents, that say some version of this. I'm not going to impose a religion or a religious tradition on my child. I'm going to let them decide when they come of age to make that determination for themselves. I've heard this a lot. And my very gentle but hopefully provocative responses. Are you going to let your child determine if they go to kindergarten? Are you going to let your child determine how late they stay up at night? Are you going to let your child determine what they eat? Right? And of course, the, the answer to that is parents impose all sorts of things on their kids. Right? And the reason parents impose things on their kids is because they believe it sets them up for some kind of success, right? It provides in some area of life an advantage, right? It plants the seeds of something that we all know that in time they can reject, right? A, a, a child, you can impose a good education on your child, 
right? And they can reject it later on. You can impose good eating habits. They can reject it and eat it Taco Bell every day, right? You can set them up for, for a good sleeping habit as a little child, and they can play video games till 4 a.m., right, in adolescence, right? We can plant these seeds, and it can be rejected. But the idea is that we impose on our children from the beginning what we think our advantage is to them. And I don't think uh, that the spiritual life is any different. Baptism is the infusion of God's grace, right? It, it sets the little infant up from the beginning of their life with this primary identity as united with Christ as a beloved son or daughter. Right? Like I like to uh, reflect on this that I hated kindergarten. Okay, I, my mom tells me that I scream every day for 30 days, the first month of kindergarten. I hated it. And I never could understand it because I met Mrs. Cyber later on. She's the sweetest woman ever in kindergarten. So I don't know what I was scared of. But you know what never occurred to my mom? To say, Jeremy, what do you want to do for school? Okay? That never, ever occurred to my mother. Okay? No, you're going to school because school is what you need to flourish in life. Right? This is true, I think, in the spiritual life. Right? One of the, the reasons for infant baptism was always the understanding of original sin, that we inherit some kind of sinful inclination that is washed in the bath of rebirth that our second reading uh, talks about. But the other incentive to baptize the infant is to begin them at the very onset of their life in this primary identity as united with Christ. Uh, as beloved sons and daughters, adopted into the family of God uh, in a beautiful way. And I don't think we should, just because we fear that they might reject that later on, which is true of anything we impose upon our kids in life, I don't think we should let that fear cause us not to impose something that we think is spiritually advantageous uh, for our children. I also love the image uh, of the church, the body of Christ being present with uh, throughout the entirety of the human experience. I think that's how why Jesus set it up this way, right? The baptism's at the beginning, the anointing of the sick is at the very end of life. And I love being with someone as they're nearing death, knowing they were baptized as an infant. And there's something absolutely beautiful about the fact that the body of Christ through the instrumentality of the priest was present at the earliest days of their life and now is present with them on their bedside at the very end of their life. And then everything in between was the other sacraments. Right? St. Thomas Aquinas talks about this beautifully with the sacraments, that the sacraments mirror all the different stages of human life. And they're meant to do that because Christ wants to accompany us on all, all stages of the human journey with his divine grace. So from the very beginnings of life with baptism to the very end of life, with the anointing of the sick, we have the body of Christ being present uh, with his people. So I want to make that appeal. Um, I believe in it. I also just love babies, and so I, I love to do infant baptisms, but that's that's a secondary uh, point. Uh, the main point is I think it's actually theologically and, uh, and beautiful and significant uh, what we're saying in infant baptism. The church and the parents are declaring over this child you have your primary identity in Jesus. You are his beloved son or daughter, adopted into his family. Whether or not that fully blossoms in time, that would be up 
partially the freedom of the individual, right? We all accept that. But to get them started on that path, that trajectory, I think is a beautiful thing. The second thought from the baptism of the Lord is a spiritual one from what the Father says over Jesus there at the end of the gospel. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And I want to remind us that for all of us united with Christ in that family, God says the same thing to all of us. Right? And I, I, one of my prayers sometimes has been um, when I'm feeling unworthy or when I'm feeling like I don't deserve or when I'm just not feeling affirmed in who I am, one of my prayers is just to hear the words of the Father speaking to Jesus at the baptism and the transfiguration, him saying those same words to me. Jeremy, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Sarah, you are my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. And I think that is like foundational for the spiritual life, is this, to feel and to know this unconditional sense of God's love. Because the you doesn't involve, at the beginning, pluses or minuses. Like you plus your accomplishments. With you plus your good works, I am well pleased. With you plus all the things you do for me, I am well pleased. Or minuses, with you minus your sins. With you minus your character flaws, I am well pleased. With you minus your deficiencies and your lack of resolution and your lack of discipline. Minus those things, I am well pleased. No, it's just with you, I am well pleased. And I, I think that is so foundational for our spiritual life to know that. That I think it then frees us to want to change in accordance with his will. Like, I don't know about you, but people in my life that um, are uh, overcorrect or are always pushing me, right, never give me a sense that uh, I'm loved just how I am. I'm okay just how I am, right? If somebody doesn't get, give me that sense and then is constantly challenging me, right, and constantly overcorrecting, I kind of bristle at that. I'm like, no, you know what? I don't want to change. But when someone, when someone I know has convinced me and has been present to me in a way that I know they love me no matter what I do, no matter what I do, I then feel an incredible amount of freedom to change. Like on my own terms, in my own timing, God's timing, I feel this incredible free sense, this internal impulse and desire to, to make my life more like Christ when I feel this sense that even if I don't, this person's going to accept me just the way that I am. I've, had, I've been so blessed to have some people like that in my life. And those are the people that have inspired me to change because I knew there was this base level of unconditional love that nothing I could ever do would change that. That's, I think, the sense we have to have spiritually of God on the front end of the spiritual life. Right? It is just the beginning. It doesn't end there, right? There's that great saying that God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay there. Right? But that first part is important. He loves you just the way you are. And if we don't have that sense, right, sometimes we do things in the spiritual life that are not driven by kind of an internal desire to change with God's grace, but rather 
this distorted sense of impressing God or, or feeling unworthy before God, right? All that other stuff that can come with it. If we don't have that first sense, I don't think we often have the freedom of that second part of the equation. God loves you just where you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay there. That comes naturally if we have the foundation of the first sense. So I would invite you, if you've struggled with feelings of unworthiness, inadequacy, um, right, insecurity in life, in the spiritual life, let Jesus, let the Father speak those words to you in prayer. You are my beloved son. With you, not plus or minus, with you I am well pleased. Right? Sarah, you are my beloved daughter. With you, not plus or minus, with you I am well pleased. That foundation of an abiding, unconditional love, I think, is one of the beginnings of, of a really healthy and organic uh, spiritual life that then invites us later to change in conformity with making our life uh, more like Jesus. So friends, I want to invite us on this feast of the baptism of the Lord, that Jesus' baptism uh, reminds us of the importance of our own, and that every time we walk into this church and we take the holy water and we make the sign of the cross, we're meant to be reminded of our own baptism. Um, if we were baptized as an infant, uh, say a prayer of gratitude uh, for your parents or for guardians who, I would say, didn't impose that as a kind of oppression, right? They imposed it as, I think this is spiritually advantageous. I want to begin this relationship of Christ with you. It'll have to blossom in your own time, with your own freedom, right? But I want to begin that relationship uh, with you. And then spiritually, let's allow God to speak to us the affirming, unconditional, abiding love that he has for us that then frees us uh, to change and to be challenged uh, by his demands. So in his baptisms, uh, let's see that he identifies with us as sinners, that he comes down, he descends, just like really in the incarnation and the crucifixion, he descends into the waters to be with us in solidarity, identifying his life with us precisely so that we can find our primary identity.